0: hello and welcome to the bravo zulu live stream series i'm delighted today to be able to have jennifer smith join us Um, Jennifer is the Emergency Management Coordinator uh, for NCH Healthcare. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Hi, Robin.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, absolutely. This is great. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation. Um, What you do is fascinating. Now, Jennifer has over 20 years um, experience in public safety. Um, You were originally a paramedic. Is that right?
1: I was. I was both a ground and a flight paramedic.
0: Where was that? Was that in Florida as well?
1: Yep. All in Florida, yep. uh, both sides of the state, East Coast, West Coast. And then uh, my travels as a flight paramedic took me all different places around the world.
0: Excellent. Um, I, I was interested, you're also part of the National Disaster Medical System. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I've been part of uh, the NDMS system since about, I want to say 2004. 2004. Um, I've been deployed to uh, different incidents around the United States. Uh, most of my time has been spent going to national special security events and working in mm-hmm. different task forces and things like that for uh, presidential inauguration, pope visit, different things like that.
0: Excellent. What, what, what does the NDMS do uh, at those events?
1: So, um, those events are a little bit of a specialty events for them. So they're part of a task force combined with the public health service. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're there to provide health and medical services in case there's a disaster or an um, act of terrorism, something along those scales, uh, to provide medical care for anybody that happens to be impacted by those events. So anything that's a national special security event, because of the crowd that it draws and the dignitaries and things that are there, uh, they'll customarily have an NDMS element element that's there to provide those services
0: wow fascinating that's brilliant um so you're then into the florida department of health as a regional emergency response advisor and now into nch healthcare yeah so go 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 ahead
1: no, I was going to say my, my previous position with the state of Florida, I was covering 10 different counties within the region of Southwest Florida. So as mm-hmm. you can imagine, that's a, a big responsibility and a big focus area. Um, one of the things that I looked forward to in coming here to NCH was being able to focus on a single system and um, really develop some more robust plans and, and kind of buckle down and, and travel a little bit less so I can, you know, be mm-hmm. in one area and not cover so much uh, geography
0: excellent okay well this this is great um for anyone joining us here and watching live um this this is we are live right now um i'm in dublin ireland uh jennifer's in florida united states jennifer it is 2 p.m there it is uh what are we at? we're at 7 p.m it's 8 a.m in new zealand 6 a.m in australia i think we're going to start getting some questions coming in so if you do have any questions for jennifer join the conversation wherever you're watching this if you just comment in the in the question section whether it's on youtube facebook linkedin or twitter just reply to this video and the comments come up on screen here so uh, jennifer will be able to answer them so jennifer let's uh let's just work out for people where you are we're going to bring up a map here um so florida so i think everyone knows where that is and you're in the very southwest corner here uh, correct of florida so we're going in, um, I think I got it here. So you're in yeah. this kind of area, right? Tell oh, us a little right. bit about the area. What I mean, what's the climate like? Um, yeah. What are the unique elements of...
1: So most people consider Southwest Florida to be uh, the entire left-hand side of the state, south of Tampa, all the way down to the the tip of the peninsula. So Mm -hmm. um, that would be about uh, eight counties down that seaboard. Uh, NCH is physically located in Collier County, which is one of the southernmost counties in the state. So as you can imagine... Um, we're, we're quite warm down here. Uh, you start to get away from the northern part of the state. So we're more tropical down here, palm trees, sandy beaches. Uh, we very much are a tourist area. So our population, uh, in some cases, doubles during the winter months when we have the snowbirds coming down from the northern part of the United States. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but right now, uh, considering it is February, it is 86 degrees outside today. Um, which is a little warmer than we would like this time of year, um, but it is lovely, it is sunny, um, and we're we're always happy to have people come down here to Southwest Florida. But the population of, of Collier County, uh, conservatively during the last census was about 350,000 people uh, just in Collier County alone. Our neighboring county to the north, uh, which is Lee County, Fort Myers, uh, which we do provide services there has about uh 750 to 800,000 population in that county alone.
0: Okay. And this I think I've got your one of one of your facilities on screen here.
1: Yeah, that looks like that is where Baker, I am at physically right. right now. That is our uh, southernmost hospital. So it's referred to as the Baker Hospital. Um, okay. But this is the original Naples Community Hospital, which is what NCH stands for. So uh, oh, okay. we do have two hospitals in our system. So our, our total bed capacity is about 750 beds uh, between the two hospitals. Uh, those hospitals have ERs, all the traditional services that you would have there. We also have two separate freestanding emergency departments spread throughout. um, Another one in the northern part of the county and the other one is actually in Lee County, um, Mm -hmm. our neighboring county to the north. And then NCH is also comprised of uh, multiple outpatient centers. So surgery centers, cancer centers, uh, different you know, orthopedic sites, physician groups. So we're we're the rather large and robust network uh, for a healthcare yeah. system down here in Florida.
0: Is there anything particular that the region deals with uh, as a um, as a more a disaster kind of type? So um, I talked to some people, and it's immediately flooding. I'm guessing it might not be that. <laughs> whoa, well, whoa. Uh, you- <laughs> <laughs> what is the big what? What's the regular thing? So your
1: your graphic that you have on the screen is probably perfect. So um, as being in southwest Florida, we, of course, deal with hurricanes, Um, Mm -hmm. but we are about a mile and a half from the coast there. So in the backdrop of our picture there, you can see the Gulf waters. Uh, So we very much are at risk for flooding. Um, Whether that's localized flooding or storm surge, uh, but our biggest risk would be from hurricanes, which hurricane season is from May to November each year, um, actually June to November each year. They're going to lengthen it possibly starting earlier in May because we do get storms as early as um, May usually. Um, But flooding is always a concern. Uh, for a hospital and then the wind conditions. Uh, This particular hospital was built in the fifties. So of course there's always infrastructure challenges and you can see our garden of hope right there in the bottom right hand side of your screen um, where patients can go out there and have a nice little reprieve from being in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, But that does bring some some water intrusion and and water capabilities very close to our campus that we have to always be worried about and kind of keeping an eye on.
0: So so that brings us nicely into um what are your responsibilities i mean what do you what do you do within the within the system
1: yeah so um as the emergency management coordinator one of my primary responsibilities is making sure that the hospital is ready to handle any type of emergencies that we Mm -hmm. should come across so that can be um you know anything from fires covid uh, hurricanes, utility failures, different things to make sure that the hospital is always maintaining a state of readiness and can maintain its operations and take care of patients. Uh, yeah. So sometimes those emergencies are are minor. Sometimes they're they can be catastrophic. It just depends on any given day of the week what's happening. Um, so part of that is developing plans, training our staff on mm-hmm. uh, incident command and functioning in those roles, um, working to make sure we're meeting all of the requirements for our accreditation for joint commission. Uh, so there's there's a lot of responsibilities that go into it. Um, those are pretty much the highlights. But in addition to that, I, I conduct the exercises and the drills to test our readiness and then you know, go back and adjust our plans accordingly and then interact with our community partners, whether that be uh, county emergency management, state emergency management, Mm -hmm. uh, the Department of Health, other community partners, law enforcement that are out there that uh, we tend to interact with on a quite frequent basis.
0: So for people who aren't familiar at all with hospital emergency management, you follow ICS, I take it through the hospital ICS, HICS Mm -hmm. um, uh, sort of methodology and set of forms. But what does a what does a plan, emergency plan for a hospital? I mean, pick one of those hazards, or maybe it's just the all hazards plan. What what does that plan comprise of for a hospital? What makes it different to a county emergency manager or um, any other type of response?
1: Yeah, so that's actually a really good question. So we do have our base plan, which is our all hazards emergency operation plan, which kind of talks mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, our, our generic structure and the way that we operate things. And then we do have some functional or hazard specific annexes. So one of them might be, uh, evacuation. So we could evacuate the hospital due to damage from a hurricane, a fire, utility Mm -hmm. failure, whatever it happens to be. So our plans, um, you know, we have to rely on some of our community partners to be able to help us execute those plans, but we really need to be as self-sufficient as we possibly can. So in that would be, what are our tactical operations going to look like um, in terms of what are each department going to do to achieve that common goal? So um, being a, a health system as opposed to just a standalone hospital, That means we kind of have a place where we can put patients or we can borrow staff to help with some of our resources. Um, But, you know, trying to evacuate a hospital of this size with, you know, over 300 plus patients that are in it, plus the staff and the visitors and everything uh, is quite a challenge. So we try to really drill our plans down to making them achievable, um, prioritizing our objectives, and then really working to see how we can constantly improve those plans after exercises or real life events to see, did we cover everything
0: <clears throat> that we needed to? So take the evacuation plan. What mm-hmm. what does that comprise of? I mean, how how into the detail into the weeds does that get what um, what does a hospital do how much planning goes on just so people get a feel of what's involved
1: yeah so for for this campus for example the one that you were showing before baker um, I have some maps that are drawn up, some aerial maps that show when the ambulances start to show up to help us evacuate mm-hmm. and take patients out of here, where do I want them to go? We don't, we don't yep. want that to be a free-for-all and be very chaotic. Mm-hmm. So we have a diagrammed map that shows their route of travel around the hospital, which doors mm-hmm. will be exit points for patients, and then where are we going to start evacuating patients first? You know, Is it the critical care patients that are on ventilators, or is it the patients that are able to get up and walk out of the hospital? of their own free will. So we kind of prioritize what those areas are going to be, which doors are going to be exits. If we've lost power, Um, What tools or resources are we going to use to physically move patients down our stairwells, down to our first floor to get them out? So it really is quite a detailed process. Um, You don't want to plan every detail down to the the minute. This is where this guy's going to stand at this time. Some of that stuff has to be fluid. But for the most part, we cover a significant amount of the details that need to be laid out in advance.
0: And... and in terms of transportation, are you part of a coalition or something that has shared? I mean, do, you, do a fleet of buses turn up? What do you do with all these, these people?
1: It, de- it depends on how quickly we need to evacuate the hospital. So if mm. we were to lose power, um, you know, that's something that we might be able to evacuate a little bit slower for versus uh, if we had a tornado or hurricane damage that, you know, uh, impacted half of our infrastructure, time might be a little bit more critical. So. We would liaise with our county emergency management and we would get a lot of different forms of transportation here. So you're right. We would have some buses. Um, we do have MCI buses and things like that in this county that mm-hmm. we could send and we can take kind of the walking wounded or the ambulatory patients out that are able to walk and leave. Um, and then the individual ambulances would have to handle uh, you know, the individual transports for some of those patients. But we do have a healthcare coalition in Southwest Florida that we we can lean on and help to get some of those resources available as well
0: yeah excellent okay i read um <clears throat> i read um the five days memorial the new new orleans new mm-hmm. orleans um uh during uh, hurricane katrina I, I assume you have you read that book yeah I i've read that it's a uh, given reading for you <laughs> um uh, quite yeah quite the read um really highlight highlighted really the difficulty that a hospital faces with, I mean, the complexity of the uh, uh, having patients more than just people um, and caring for them throughout and needing staff to be there. I mean, quite a quite an ordeal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the the other forms of transportation we have is we do have a helipad that's here. And um, the story that you're referencing from from that actual event, they did have to do some. Um, mm. helicopter transports out and things like that. But one of our our fears or one of the things that we were worried about most during Hurricane Irma uh, was exactly that scenario with our proximity to the ocean and, and how much mm. water we could have here. Uh, we very much could be landlocked in our own facility. And how does that change patient care when we start to run out of critical resources and mm. have to make those <clears throat> tough decisions?
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah uh, it's fascinating it's a great read if, if um people are looking for that five days in memorial um it's very good so what's the difference with hospital ics versus pure ics what what would someone expect to be different
1: um this is where i might i might differ a little bit from uh what you would hear people say commonly. So for me as a as a paramedic, we used ICS a lot. You know, Mm. that was the world we function in on a daily basis. Um, For a hospital, everybody has their jobs. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that be, you know, medical treatment, we have our own logistics with our warehouse and our inventory people. Uh, so they're already kind of doing some of the roles that are traditionally laid out within ICS. So the way we're looking at things here at NCH is we're, we're functioning more as an emergency management EOC structure rather than a true incident command structure. So um, our staff within the building know what they should be doing to take care of each of one of the roles that they have. So we look more at a command and coordination type of response. So uh, in the Baker Hospital where I am right now, we have a dedicated emergency operations center Mm -hmm. that we would funnel everything for the healthcare system in here and not have the hospitals act independently. So we would be able to um, you know, include our conversations uh, across our system. And that's yeah. where we came into using D4H as our collaborative tool to be able in real time to see what's going on, gather that information. So we are one team, one dream, um, working to to kind of come you know, get through that incident as uh, one single resource. So whereas you know you'll have a true incident commander for an incident and a ops chief and everything we still have some of those roles but we call it a system command and mm-hmm. then we also have you know the traditional command and general staff roles but we do function a little bit more like an emergency operations center rather than a true incident command structure
0: okay what are the role titles that that differ between the two you've talked about a few of them there but like what what how do the taskings differ um I do a lot at the moment with, say, uh, corporates and companies using ICS and love mm-hmm. Quite a different structure uh, to their to their roles and responsibilities. Um, to bring the business into an incident within a hospital, what do you see different to like a county?
1: So. Um... Our ICS roll our org chart, when there's an activation, it would actually be somewhat fluid depending on what the event actually is. So um, we still function with the same command and general staff positions. We don't necessarily call them an operations section chief. We'll call them more of an operations coordinator, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of what NIMS is leading a little bit more to for that. Um But within our operations branch, we may see that look tactically different for an evacuation Mm -hmm. versus what it looked like when we were managing COVID. So uh, operations may be run more by infection prevention for COVID Mm -hmm. because they're trying to keep people safe and from getting sick in here and manage um, moving patients around the hospital to cohort them versus if we were evacuating due to a fire. Now our operations section is going to look more like transportation arrangement uh patient movement uh things like that nature so our overarching structure may be very similar but Mm -hmm. our tactical operations once you start getting into the operations and some of the other logistical branches may look slightly different depending on what the incident is
0: do do you have a physical eoc in the in the building Mm -hmm. yep pre-assigned room what's in there when i walk in what am i seeing what am i looking at
1: yeah, so right now we're we're in the process of updating that and building a larger communication center. But the way it is today, um, it's connected to my office here right outside here. So once you mm-hmm. walk in that room, you're going to see a rather large conference table right in the middle. And then you're going to see along the outer walls, uh, a bank of different computers that are always set up and always running, ready to go. And then mm-hmm. we have a, uh, a wall with several different monitors, TV screens. So we'll be able to put the news on. We'll be able to put our electronic medical records system on there. Our video surveillance system, mm-hmm. um, our D4H incident management that we're working, you know, collaboratively on with our other um, campuses. So um, it, it really is nice. It's it's atypical in some hospitals to see a dedicated yeah. room that's always set mm-hmm. up for this function. Um, but because we are all hazards and we have a lot of different events that can happen with no notice, we really have to keep that posture um, yeah. all the time.
0: And, and the people who sit in those seats, they've all got let's call them business as usual roles. So who are they? What are their roles? Who's who's sitting around the table and what type of roles do they take on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you're sticking to ICS, our, uh, our, our CEO would be more of our policy group, uh, mm-hmm. making some of those decisions for us. Um, our COO would be more of our system command. Um, I might be the system command also, depending on what the incident is or how many operational periods we're running. Um, We would have, uh, our logistics would be our director of administrative services, things like that. Um, If we're running a medical operation, we have our chief medical officer or chief nursing officer that Mm -hmm. might fill those roles. So it is easier for us to plug and play our leadership into those roles because that's what they do on a daily basis. Um, Some of the other partners might be the staffing. And bedboard people who know where the patients are and when those rooms are coming available and can track all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, our facilities and engineering staff would be participating in in either our logs or our operational mm-hmm. role, and then our finance and admin would be our finance and admin section. So, one
0: of the, one of the big differences I see normally between, say, um, we we'll call it a public safety emergency manager, or uh, in terms of in a county or, or city. And in a hospital, as the hospital has loads of technology in there, so you've got you know hospital management systems that tell you where your assets are at in terms of bed numbers, wards, mm-hmm. I assume staff. Everything's tracked in these these systems. Um, and outside that, dealing with the public, you don't have that level of detail at all. So that must be nice to be able to <clears throat> get those that that the sort of figures in and metrics in to, to deal with. It's much better decision making information
1: yeah it's getting better the artificial intelligence and the analytics that come into our electronic medical records help Mm. predict how long a patient's going to be in the hospital what time would are we going to start to see people get discharged so it really can drive some of the decision making that we have for longer term events Um, we focus more on maintaining our operations so our planning and response is huge Um, Mm. recovery is always something we worry about Um, but you know in terms of um, public assistance and things like that those are some of the things i don't need to look at as a specific hospital emergency manager whereas my counterpart for the county does need to worry about um, many many different aspects of the county and and maintaining uh, response and operations and recovery efforts
0: yeah absolutely you must have to train quite a lot and run drills with with all these people how often do you do that and um, what was your last one? What was the scenario you put to people?
1: So, um, I I like to drill a lot um, Mm. because I like to test our plans and always make changes, but uh, each hospital is governed by an accreditation body. So our Mm -hmm. accreditation body is uh, the Center for Medicaid, Medicare Services, or Joint Commission. So with that, they say we have to do um, at least two large exercises each year, and then we have Mm -hmm. to do certain fire drills and things like that on a quarterly basis for different departments within the hospital campuses. Um, So we, we are quite busy throughout the year doing that. Um, And that's just the minimum. So we always have to do more. So actually, two weeks ago, we in our birthplace, so our our mom and baby area at our north hospital, uh, we did what was called a code pink drill. So for us in the hospital, code pink is a uh, infant abduction. So we had to pretend like a um, one of the parents came in and took the infant out of the hospital and tried to leave with it. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had to, you know, activate that response and do the overhead paging within our hospital. And then our staff needed to respond accordingly. And that includes, you know, checking on all the other moms and babies, making sure everybody's okay. And then performing a search for that missing baby. And kind of determining if they were able to leave the facility, which they shouldn't be able to with some of the fail safes that we have, Mm. um, and then what that looks like. So coordinating search efforts, uh, communicating that back to our public safety security staff and our operators so that we know what's going on. And then, of course, liaising with law enforcement or whoever happens to be coming to help us. So um, that was a rather robust drill. But those are are some of the customary ones we do traditionally. Um, Before that, we did a code black, which was a bomb threat. So we we do test for a lot of different eventualities here because you don't know what's going to happen. Um, But quarterly, we're required to do at least fire drills in different patient care areas.
0: Yeah. Okay. Excellent. It's fascinating. In in terms of communicating during an incident, um, obviously, we know each other through D4H. um, And that's sort of one of the collaboration tools. What other communication lines do you have into that EOC? telephones? Is there, are there two-way radios as well yep. to security or what's going on in there?
1: Yeah. So we have a couple of different tools. So um, of course, D4H, From for my documentation purposes, I prefer all communication goes through that. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, we do have our landline telephones. In case those go out, we have sat phones, Uh, each one of our campuses our critical campuses will have a a sister satellite phone so we can Mm -hmm. communicate if needed Uh, we have two-way radios for um, our daily communication processes on campus with a a cache of extra ones to increase our capabilities with that but then we also have excuse me we also have two-way radio communication with our uh, county emergency management so if we did lose traditional landline or cell phone capabilities here mm-hmm. we would be able to maintain uh communication with the emergency operations center there to let them know how we're doing and, and what unmet needs we might have
0: yeah okay and and to, across your system to all those clinics and other outpatient services and your other large uh, facility um is, is that pho- Is it just phone normally? Is that what be doing? For, the,
1: for the physician group offices and outpatient sites, that's mostly mm-hmm. phone operations. Um, if we have a hurricane or things like that, those offices are traditionally closed and locked down prior to landfall. Okay. So we wouldn't really have a need to communicate with them during an event. Um, and mm-hmm. hopefully communications would come back up very quickly after. But we do have extra phones and radios that we could pass out to those uh, sites if we needed to as well
0: okay brilliant when an incident wraps up you've got to put together your after action report um talk a little bit about that because not everyone does that in all forms of sort of response um what does it involve what's the detail level
1: yeah so part of um The accreditation process that we follow is not only doing the exercises, but actually documenting what Mm. the exercises um, revealed and kind of what improvements you're making. Um, In lieu of an exercise, if we have a real event occur, we can write that up as well to meet that requirement. Um, but for me, after action reports are um, kind of a snapshot of where we are with our current capabilities and resources and how we did. And mm-hmm. then the other part of that is the improvement plan, where you're going to say, okay, we, we recognize we had these shortcomings, but this is what we're going to do to correct that. So hopefully, this doesn't happen again in the future. So, um, one of the things that I, I really like about the D4H system, and I did recently use it for an IT incident that we had. Um, was not only the capability of creating the uh, incident action plans, but once we were done, I had everything that I was needed to create the after action. So
0: Mm. all of the
1: snapshots of my situation reports, all of the ICS forms that were filled out during that. um, But most importantly, AARs for for us are used for reimbursement purposes. So for Hurricane Irma or anything like that, um, where there's FEMA reimbursement, you need to show, what the impacts your facility were uh, what response actions and recovery actions you had and in that uh, by having your after-action report and your incident action plans you're able to clearly show um, over the course of time what happened what you did to fix it and then what you still need to work on so for me AARs are are a very big important part of um, learning and, and making things better
0: yeah absolutely uh, and then I assume you um, you, you then exercise a drill on the changes and just con- continually iterate absolutely that's part of the
1: the planning process is always reevaluating so my job i you know some people outside of emergency management are like that's great once you wrote the plans what do you do the rest of the time and it's like no no Mm. you're never done writing plans and going back and tweaking them and some new technology comes out or there's been modifications to your staff or your building so there's constantly something to exercise and improve upon Um, i have yet to find an exercise or an event that's gone absolutely perfectly where you're like, great, Mm -hmm. we have nothing to do. Um, There's always something to improve upon and fix.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What type of equipment is do you have responsibility over in your department?
1: Yeah. So that's a, another good question. So I think every hospital is a little different in their resources and their capabilities. Um, for for us, uh, in addition to the radios and all of the emergency management stuff we talked about already, um, we do have two emergency management trailers, like 26 foot enclosed trailers. So in that is a lot of our decontamination equipment. So we have Pappers, hazmat suits, um, we have the equipment to set up a decontamination area. Run,
0: run back on papers for people to just explain okay. why a hospital would use them and uh, why they're better than some, something more technical.
1: Yep. So um, you know your traditional fire departments, they'll have their air packs and things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, for healthcare, that's a little too much. Uh, that that you know enclosed air providing service. Yep. So um, we have the Pappers are a um, positive air pressure respirator that you put on that's blowing air from a filter and a, an attachment on your waist and it blows it through the hood that you put over your head and blows all the air out of uh, that mask so that you're always having a clean air environment. And it's the same filtration as like an N95 mask that mm. people have been wearing for COVID. Um, so if we're dealing with chemicals or unknown hazards our staff would put that on to make sure that they're maintaining uh you know a good airway experience for themselves and not being contaminated with something so that they can continue to care for other people and not be contaminated
0: yeah and, and these are everything from i assume administration staff being face to face with with people through to healthcare providers through across the board i assume
1: correct correct yeah it's, a, Waters, it's-
0: everything security
1: Yep, our security staff, our engineering staff, different people are trained in using those uh, pieces of equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. The one positive thing that came out of COVID was that we were able to bring those devices inside to use on a more routine basis um, when we were talking at the the peak of COVID with all the respiratory protection. So that gave our staff a little bit more familiarization. So, should they need it for decontamination, for a hazmat, um, they're going to be a little bit more comfortable in using that equipment as they're from more familiar with it. Yes, yeah. So, um, you, you, lots of equipment.
0: You, you hinted, um, you hinted at uh, funding being a key piece for you as well. Who funds this? Where, where does it happen? Where does it come from? I assume is it a um, the hospital itself, but are there grants that you're going for as well? I mean, what's involved? I'm sure you're constantly seeking money.
1: I'm always seeking money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm always looking for money. Um, some of this stuff is self-funded through the hospital. Um, you know, some of it is operating costs. So, like the radios mm-hmm. and things like that. You know, that's a part of doing business. So, you need to maintain all of that. Um, FEMA does a, a good job at putting different monies available. So, with COVID, it became a lot of COVID funding to help uh, enhance some of the capabilities of the healthcare system. Uh, there was some funding that was uh, released after Hurricane Irma to help with repairs or enhance. Again, to different components of the hospital. Um, our healthcare coalition is a great partner. So those Pappers we were just talking about, uh, they were able to provide us with 12 new Pappers for our healthcare system uh, from funds that they had to support that project. So mm-hmm. there's always philanthropy, um, different, different avenues of funding out there. Unfortunately, things are getting more expensive. Um, you know, some of this equipment is sitting here to be ready. To use just mm-hmm. in case, so it is kind of a, a, a risk benefit cost analysis to say, do you really need this if you're only going to possibly use it once? But yeah. that one time you need it, um, it makes a huge difference in how your capabilities are and what you're able to do. So, funding is a big thing for us, but we try to make sure we inventory everything, maintain everything, take care of it to make it last yeah. as long as possible.
0: It, it seems to be at the moment the world is going through some, you know, obviously major events, be it. Um, I mean, if you go back over um, the last twenty years, from you know a, a large, um, large kind of funding round for terrorism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, um, I can't even think what's in between on that. But then COVID and everything else, and these these things, be it chemical response equipment and um, um, as well, it seems like they're layering on and layering on and layering on. And I wonder what point it, it all gets, you know reevaluated of how much can an all hazards response.
1: Yeah, there's there's sometimes there's too much equipment. hmm. I mean from 9-11, we did get quite generous grant funding throughout the state and NCH has decontents and all of these things that were procured, which are now starting to reach their end of life. Yeah. Um, do, they get so you, re,
0: do they get renewed if they weren't used, you know?
1: Exactly. So if you mm. can justify, we only used it three times and since 9-11, is yeah. it something you really need to reinvest in and replace? So those are some, we have some tough decisions coming um, with that. Cause like I said, some of our equipment's reaching end of life, but um, yeah. you know, it's always a balance, always being ready. Cause you don't know what's going to happen yeah. next.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I assume as the, you know, as you have to have the equipment and, skills to deal with so many hazards and different types. Um, I assume that does bring you into community partners. And uh, we talked a little bit earlier about um, the the alliance or, or coalition that you have locally. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, um, what you need to do to maintain those relationships?
1: Yeah, so for me, um, you know, my, number one goal is to make this hospital as safe as I can you know, possibly make it. Mm. Um, so with current events that are going on, there's always a threat of active shooters, um, active assailants, things mm-hmm. like that. So one of the things we've been working on uh, more recently is in a partnership with Collier County Sheriff's Office to um, integrate a little bit more with them to make sure we're on the same page and we can uh, en- enhance our response capabilities. So um, the Baker Hospital being built in the 50s is kind of a puzzle. Um, It's hard for even for me that I work here to find all of the different areas. So imagine if we had an active shooter on the the fifth floor, you know, some of our elevators only go up to the third floor because the hospital was built in phases. Um, They may not know that which would really delay things. So uh, one of the things we've worked on is is getting some electronic mapping that feeds into mm-hmm. their command center um so they'll be able to pull those maps up and direct their officers with their body cam saying it's the third yep. door on the left you know turn down the hallway on the right instead of saying oh it's it's near uh, radi- radiology and they're like I, I don't know where radiology is so um, that and I, then
0: have have you decided on a vendor for that have you, is that something you've procured already
1: yeah, we, we're working with the same vendor that the county already used for their purposes. Yeah. So, to ensure that we integrate. People might be interested.
0: What, what, what is it, if you can say?
1: Um, that one is a company called CRG. Okay. CRG Mapping. Um, So they have what are called um, macro maps and micro maps. Mm -hmm. So macros would be the exterior of our campus and micros would be every single floor of the interior of our campus, um, which will plug into our D4H for our incident management purposes. Mm -hmm. But being able to give the sheriff's office that information in real time is incredibly helpful. So we're trying to integrate our um, a video camera surveillance system with them so they can see a live feed if there was ever a that time that tough. they needed it. Um, our radio communications, if we need to talk to them, that we have the capability of all being on the same frequencies for mm-hmm. an event is really important. So those are some of the collaborations that we're working on. Um, you know, it's kind of out of the healthcare arena a little bit and more crossing over to a different sector, but we are considered critical infrastructure and we are an incredibly soft target. Um, so we're doing what we can to increase those capabilities and, and make this as safe as possible um, while still providing, you know, great patient care and making people feel welcome and being here. Mm. So it's a hard balance
0: yeah. to strike. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. Well. But- Jennifer, this has been great, and I normally try and wrap up by talking a little bit about how we were brought together, which is D4H, in terms of the two bits I always ask are what's your favorite part, <laughs> what's the most useful part for you, and and then we'll go on to what you'd like us to do, so any suggestions you have or things you think, I think this is what a hospital needs, um, or a hospital system needs in the, the product.
1: No, my favorite part of D4H, and I have used other uh, incident management softwares out there. My favorite part is my ability to change the status boards or the forms or any of the components that Mm. I need to change without having to go through, um, you know, through you guys to have that built. So if I'm in the middle of an incident and somebody says, man, I really wish we could monitor um, this oxygen tank over here and know every couple of hours what's going on, um, we can modify that and create a board just for that without having to go through you guys to get more technical help and build that on the fly Mm -hmm. or turn different components on and off. So for me, the customization, I guess, is what I'm trying to say is really great. Um, I I don't want to be here for every single event. I don't plan Mm. on being here 24 hours a day. Um, So I have built some plays that are in there that have the appropriate status boards already ready to go so that if I am not here, our staff can turn that on and very quickly start to manage an incident. And, you know, for us... Uh, I hadn't had the opportunity to train our staff on D4H yet before we actually had a real event happen. Mm -hmm. So I said, no time like the present to throw it out there. So I turned it on. I gave them access and I'm like, here, I'll give you a quick five minute. And within that, they were ready to go. It was very intuitive and they were Mm -hmm. able to pick up Mm -hmm. and really understand what they should be doing there um, and start working on things, which is a lot better than it used to be uh, when you used to slide paper forms in front of somebody and say, mm. oh, here's your 205 or your 214, and they're like, I don't, I don't know what this is. So being able to say generator status board or oxygen status board or whatever it happens to be, um, it, it answers the questions that I need to have without confusing them or making it overcomplicated. So mm. the customization for me is probably the best feature um, that is already built into this.
0: Okay, excellent. That's good to hear. How long did it take you to get to grips with the admin area so that you could customize it?
1: Um, I would probably say a good two months, yep. um, you know, just to be able to sit down and think about what is it I want this to look like for each one of my plays? And then for me, it was is a status board or a form or a checklist the best way to go about doing this. And so you guys have been great because I'm like, hey, this is what I want to do what do you think would be the best way to collect that information? And you you guys have been, we think it's this and, you know, we can even help you build this out. Um, so that's been phenomenal working back and forth with you guys collaboratively um, because, you know, I'm not a, a huge tech person. So sometimes I would confuse myself and I'm like, all right, I'm going to back out for a minute. I'm going to leave this for today, come back tomorrow, look at it fresh. And then I'm like, I come up with 80 more ideas of things to create in here. So, um it's it's quite fun once you get playing yeah. in it, uh, yeah. and the, the possibilities are really endless.
0: Good. Well, let's talk about those possibilities. Where should we go? What should we do? We've talked before, about this before, but you can um, you can share here.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, being able to utilize this from my cell phone or different things if I'm at home when an incident starts is great. Um, I really, I honestly don't have a huge amount of feedback on things to change or build. Um, it's taken me a little bit to build some customized uh, hospital-specific boards that might yeah. not be something that anybody else was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, integrating with our mass communication tool would probably be and the that, biggest.
0: Let's let's talk about that. That is. Rave. rave, right? Yeah, correct. And that rave integration is coming. I think it's been started on um, already. Um, and I know uh, our team are working closely with Rave. Um, that, that's Rave Mobile Safety. Um, in fact, uh, for people, I'll uh, see if we can put it up here. mobile safety.com uh, just talk a little bit about that how do you use rave and um at the moment what what how does it work for you
1: yeah so rave is our um you know system-wide mass communication tool mm. so prior to me coming we were using a different uh a different organization for those purposes Um, but we went with RAVE because um, we really need to have reliable communication with all of our staff so just using a hurricane for example um, pre-storm notifications you know Mm -hmm. these are the areas that are being closed off Um, you know, being able to communicate all of that seamlessly without having to go through and individually activate phone trees or things like that is important. Um, If we had an active shooter event, being able to text all staff and say, stay away from the building until told otherwise, things like that. Um, But really being able to leverage the text messaging, the emailing, the RSS feed that goes into it to our website to have consistent messaging across our system Mm. is huge. Um, so we give it to our PBX operators, our um, communications operators within the hospital. So if we have an event that's happening, like a, a utility failure or whatever, they can quickly go in, click the utility failure group, and it's going to send all of us that need to know this is what's happening. So we have that common operating picture and we've all been notified at one, one fail swoop. Um, but really... The peace of mind of knowing that all of those messages are getting where they need to go so being able yeah. to go in and see that they were all delivered or whose phone numbers are bad and be able to correct that because communication is is probably the biggest thing uh to making or breaking your success of an event
0: mm-hmm. uh, what we're hoping to do is to or what we are doing is is like we've done with other providers you'll be able to initiate that rave communication outbound through D four H um, without leaving D four H and uh, get them start a notification uh, out and run one of those templates.
1: Absolutely. So have to have the D four H you know uh, status boards up in our command center and have that dashboard up where we can see everything collaboratively mm-hmm. what's going on. But then be able to while we're still logged in send that message will just be that much more time saving for us. Yeah. And then everybody will be able to see. The messaging that's going out so no i'm i'm excited about what the future holds for us um with d4h and and being able to work through a lot of different incidents um i think there's more work for us to do to create the status boards the way we want them mm. and and what they need to be but um it's it's super easy to use and so far all of the staff that have had access to it that have used it have been very complimentary about uh, how easy it is to use and how much comfortable they feel with it because in the past it's probably been one of the biggest bones of contention with getting staff to want to be in an incident management team is their comfort level just wasn't there
0: yeah absolutely well yeah, that, that's great and this uh this chat has been fantastic is there anything i've missed that i said we'd talk about that you you want to cover
1: i don't think so i think we've covered quite a lot and i''m, I'm i appreciate <laughs> you having me and and listening to me talk about Nch and everything it's it's been a pleasure and um you know i'm, I'm happy to talk to you or anybody else anytime
0: excellent well thank you very much we, we're very um thankful and grateful for your support um of us um and it's been great working with you um, the next live stream we're doing is on March eighth, and what that's going to be covering all the feature suggestions that we got um, when I tweeted back. Uh, I think near January first at some point, saying what should D4H do in twenty twenty two? If we could build one thing, what would it be? We've already done one live stream that that filled up with those feature suggestions. And we're taking the other half of them. We're going to answer those on March eighth. So, 8th. so, if you want to come on that, show anyone, anyone, any other users of D4H, and give us your ideas um uh, myself and mario our chief technology officer will be going through those feature suggestions live so jennifer thank you again and um look forward to talking to you soon
1: thanks robin appreciate it it was fun thanks
0: Bye bye
1: bye